I'm Anna Rothschild, and you're listening to Podcast 19 from 538. The AstraZeneca COVID-19 vaccine has been hailed as the world's vaccine. It's inexpensive to produce and doesn't need super cold storage like the mRNA vaccines do. It's been approved in countries around the globe, from the UK to Mexico to Australia. At first, clinical trial data indicated that the vaccine had an efficacy of nearly 80%, though a small study of about 2,000 people showed it to be considerably less effective against the variant first identified in South Africa. But that hasn't been seen as a reason to keep the vaccine from the rest of the world. And so far, tens of millions of doses have been administered. Nevertheless, the vaccine has still not been approved in the U.S. This week, on the verge of submitting their vaccine to the FDA for approval, AstraZeneca committed essentially a communications faux pas that could shake the public's confidence in the shot. And unfortunately, it's not the first public relations scandal AstraZeneca has gotten itself into since the pandemic began. To explore AstraZeneca's missteps and what to make of them, I'm joined by Maggie Kurth, 538's senior science writer. Maggie, what the heck is going on with AstraZeneca? <laughs> what the heck isn't going on with AstraZeneca? Exactly. Sort of feels <laughs> like. So this is still a little confusing. Um, and I think part of what is making it confusing is the communication around it. So what seems to be going on is that AstraZeneca had this big press conference. They released efficacy data that was based on data from one period of time. So they came out and said, you know, we are going to have an efficacy of 79%. That's great. But then the Data Safety Monitoring Board, which is the regulator in charge of all of this, is saying that if you add in this extra time period that they have data for, but that they just kind of left out in the public announcement, you're actually going to get an efficacy of closer to 69 to 75%. Basically, when you do a clinical trial, right, um, you have this like impartial board called the Data Safety Monitoring Board that um, sees your data before even like the CEO of the pharmaceutical company sees the data. In this case, pretty much back in February, Uh, The Data Safety Monitoring Board um, found that there was an efficacy rate in the most recent clinical trials for AstraZeneca of like 79%, but there were these like additional potential cases of COVID that they kind of wanted AstraZeneca to look into. So AstraZeneca kind of looked into some of them, and by March that number dropped to 75%, but there were still, according to this Post article I read, like 33% potential cases of COVID that could bring that number down to 69%. And basically, like, the regulatory board, again, which is not related to AstraZeneca at all, they are an impartial board, told AstraZeneca these numbers, but were like, listen, you really got to check this out because these numbers could change. And then AstraZeneca just decided to go with the February numbers, knowing that there was this potential change in in what could occur. Then this regulatory board did a thing that is, you almost never hear this happen in public health. Like they basically like 
wrote to AstraZeneca that they were very disappointed in them and that this had the potential to mislead them and then freaking CC'd Dr. Fauci on it. Oh, I didn't know they CC'd him. Oh, wow. <laughs> oh, my gosh. That's um, that's some, like, please see my previous email <laughs> kind of levels and what is absolutely crazy about this, what is driving me completely bonkers, is that we're having this whole thing over a less than 10% difference in efficacy. Like there's this massive loss of trust involved in this communication. These are really weird things to be happening. And it's less than 10% difference. I think that that's kind of the most galling thing too. There's just something so weird going on about the fact that they really wanted to release this 79% number when in fact it might have been 75% effective. And, and the difference between those numbers is fairly small. Quick side note here, we recorded this episode on Wednesday afternoon. That night, AstraZeneca released an update saying that after a review, they've now determined that their vaccine has a 76% efficacy against symptomatic COVID and 100% efficacy against hospitalizations and deaths. It, it just seems like there's been a lot of this stuff all the way along with AstraZeneca. Well, let's talk about some of these other scandals. <sighs> so what I kind of have seen in going back and looking through a lot of this stuff is this pattern of like both choosing the more optimistic thing to talk to the press about and also this pattern of just kind of methodological sloppiness. They wanted to combine all of these different studies that they had been doing all over the world that were done differently with different doses and in different ways into one big meta-analysis. That's not, that's not a thing. Like, we don't do that. <laughs> and Didn't they also give some study participants a half dose of the vaccine accidentally at some point? Yeah. When they were releasing some of their data, you had like this result where like, oh, a half dose and then a full dose gets you a better effectiveness rate than two full doses. And so the press kind of got curious about that and like, what even made you try this? And it turned out that what made them try that was a complete and utter accident that happened when one of their contractors was giving the wrong dose out in one trial. Jeez. It's not like they were hiding it from the regulators, like the regulators knew, but they had not made it clear in in the public facing data. So you just had this like weird hanging question that then they had to explain that then made them look like they were hiding things. The PR failure has also been going on for quite a while. Oh, absolutely. I don't know if you remember like earlier on in, in their clinical trials, there were like one or two cases of this like super rare paralytic condition called transverse myelitis, which we talked about Yep. on podcast 19 before and basically like the trials were stopped the, the crazy thing though is that the way that the fda found out about the case of transverse myelitis was the same way the public found out which oh. was through a leaked story to i think stat news oh god i'd forgotten about that <laughs> it was later found that there was no link between the vaccine and transverse myelitis this is actually just like a thing that these two people in these very large studies happened to develop that 
in all likelihood had nothing to do with the vaccine whatsoever. But the fact that it was communicated so poorly just makes you go, wait, are you hiding something? Right. And you also have things that are like not scandals per se, but like, do you remember what was going on with like the whole this doesn't work in old people thing? Oh, yeah. I mean, I think what happened was that AstraZeneca, like they didn't do an excellent job of recruiting enough older people in the study, people over 65 in their study. Um, And so that kind of got misconstrued by the public. And I think famously, uh, Emmanuel Macron, um, (laughs) by, uh, by interpreting that as, oh, this vaccine doesn't work in people over 65. That's not necessarily the case. It seems to be working fine in people over 65 in the UK, for instance. Exactly, exactly. In reality, we just didn't have enough data to say whether the vaccine worked in people over 65 at the time. Right. So it's another one of those cases of where, like, it's not that they're evil. It's just that they're, like, walking into walls repeatedly. Another quick side note, in their Wednesday night press release, AstraZeneca said their vaccine has an 85% efficacy in people 65 and older. And I think like some of the communication around this has also been, it's not all on AstraZeneca. Like you get into like the blood clotting thing and that communication has been bad from like everybody, basically. Well, let's talk about that. Like what what did happen with the blood clots? So there are at least 21 countries that put a temporary pause on using the AstraZeneca vaccine. So what is going on is that there are at least 30 cases of not just blood clots, but severe blood clotting and a syndrome of different symptoms. You know, some people are having head to toe blood clots. Some people are having these low platelet counts. Nobody knows whether this is tied to the vaccine. Nobody knows why it would be heavily centered in Germany, where there's been at least 13 cases. But it's the kind of thing that if you're a vaccine safety expert, you're looking at this information and you're thinking, ah, let's let's hold up a minute and find out what's going on. But if you're a public health person, you're looking at this exact same information and you're going, but it's just 30 cases. And there's been tens of millions of doses of this stuff given out. So you're still way more likely to die from COVID. So let's prioritize getting people vaccinated. It's really just this clash between how two different expert groups prioritize the same thing. Basically, like the European Medicines Agency has said that the benefits of the vaccine continue to like far outweigh the risks. What I'm struggling with now looking at this whole big history of things is like where this leaves us. Part of me is looking at this and kind of having the Fauci reaction, right? Of like, I think this is a good vaccine. Just like, what are they doing? So Maggie, does the U.S. need this vaccine? I mean, we are contracted for enough vaccine to vaccinate everybody in the U.S. by July. So we don't actually need AstraZeneca to get the job done here. But it is needed in a lot of other places. It's the one that, you know, became part of like the international let's get everybody vaccinated effort, right? So like all of the contracts for how we are going to get vaccine to people in developing countries are tied to AstraZeneca. 
one of the things that this has brought up for me that I, I do think is a positive, I guess, is the fact that like this data safety monitoring board did exactly what it was supposed to do and that they clearly were working in the public's best interest to correct this mistake from AstraZeneca. And for me, at least, I find that pretty comforting because it means that our system is working, right? Like we have these independent boards for a reason and they're working to inform the public. They looped in the federal government and it's the process in action, which is great. Yeah, that has been good all the way through. I mean, like Pfizer and Moderna did not know they had 95% accuracy before the independent review boards did. That should be giving us a lot of faith. That should be making us feel better. Well, so this this brings us to the big question, which is, would you take the AstraZeneca vaccine, knowing what you do now? <laughs> uh... <laughs> I have been pretty vocal about the idea that I would absolutely take J&J. Same. Even though the efficacy from the clinical trials is lower than Moderna and Pfizer. So this is not just a like, oh, I need perfection. <laughs> um, I need I need the best. I feel like I can judge what is the best. Like that, that is not what I am saying. I personally probably would be a little hesitant about AstraZeneca at this point. Me too. I'm going to need to hear from like multiple independent scientists that they trust it before I go out of my way to get this one. You know, like in all likelihood, it's safe and effective, but they've just had so many communications errors. And when you have a pattern of that, I mean, like it's effectively, it's effectively no different than if my kid comes down and tells me that she cleaned her room and has stuffed everything under her bed the last five times she said that. <laughs> At a certain point, I'm not going to trust the room is clean. <laughs> That's a great analogy. <laughs> um, well, I think we should end it there. Maggie, thank you so much for chatting with me about this. It's always a pleasure to, you know, just gab and talk about major pharmaceutical companies. Girl stuff. And, yeah, exactly. <laughs> One correction on today's episode. For some reason, Maggie and I repeatedly said that the independent impartial board was called the Data Safety Monitoring Board. It's actually the Data and Safety Monitoring Board. I do not know how we got that stuck in our heads. That's it for this episode of Podcast 19. If you have a question you'd like us to answer on the show, email us a voice memo at askpodcast19 at gmail.com. That's askpodcast19 at gmail.com. I'm Anna Rothschild. Our producer is Sinduja Srinivasan. Chadwick Matlin is our executive producer. Thanks for listening. See you next time.